0: the last three weeks, this is part four of the series called The Power of Clarity, and this morning we're talking about having clarity in our relationships, and I I guess I wanted to start out, it is Super Bowl Sunday, those of you guys that maybe know this, maybe you don't care, but I wanted to ask, how many Patriot fans do we have in the room this morning? If you could raise your hand, really, one or two, security, if you could (laughs) escort them out, all right? Uh, This morning we're talking about having clarity in our relationships, and we've talked about having clarity in our faith and having clarity in our leadership, clarity in our stewardship, and one of the things that we wanted to make crystal clear is that oftentimes in life, things are unclear. Even the scripture says that it's like we're looking through a glass that's cloudy on this side of heaven. Sometimes things aren't crystal clear, and That's where we have to trust, and that's where faith comes in, and we still have to move forward. We still have to make decisions. We still have to walk out this thing called life, trusting, believing, having faith that God is going to give us the light that we need for the next step to take. Sometimes things are not crystal clear, but we're always fighting and striving for clarity from God, for that light that we need. For the next steps to take in our life, and this is especially true when we talk about having clarity in our relationships. you know this is always kind of a, a, a tricky sermon. I was talking to my dad this week, and i said we're I think I picked too broad of a topic you know we 're talking about relationships, and boy, relationships are always a little tricky because relationships are so complex if you talk about marriages, or you talk about friendships, or you talk about a pastor and a congregation relationship, or you talk about employers and employees, I mean, relationships are so complex, and each one is different. Sometimes they're messy, sometimes they're complicated, sometimes relationships are painful, and yet the the crazy thing is, is we cannot flourish without them. We've got to have community, we've got to have relationships. I don't know about you, but relationships make me think of elevators. Anybody else like that? I'm officially the weirdest person in the room, okay? It makes me think of elevators. I mean, elevators are some of the most unusual places, aren't they? I mean, have you ever seen, like, one time I was on an elevator, there was two people walking as they were coming towards the elevator, and as soon as they, like, crossed this barrier of weirdness into the elevator, they stopped talking to each other, you know? It's like, You're riding on an elevator. No one's talking to each other, especially if it's crowded. You're trying not to touch the person next to you. Everyone's looking at the floor or at the ceiling or you're watching the lights, you know, as you're going up or down. It is such a weird environment, an elevator. Strange things happen in elevators. Back in the day when I was working with youth, we were on a youth activity. We were traveling and we were uh, getting onto an elevator that was full of people And it was me and just a handful of of students, and we kind of crowded in there, and it was once again just, you know, you're riding the elevator, it's complete silence. And then all of a sudden, one of the students yelled out from the back, on the count of three, everybody jump. One, two, three. And to my surprise, everyone in the elevator jumped. And it was so fascinating to me. I mean, there was some kind of laughing nervously, like, I hope we don't go down, you know. But it was so fascinating to me that all of a sudden the ice broke and people were laughing and people started talking to each other. Some people started asking each other, like, where are you from? What are you doing here? Why are you traveling? And people started relating. It was so fascinating. They started relating to one another. You know, in many respects, an elevator is like a microcosm of our world. Our world is a large kind of impersonal institution where being unnoticed, being isolated, and especially in our culture, being independent is the norm of the day. I mean, it shows, you know, the, the elevator example, it shows us that we can be surrounded by people. We can be in a very crowded place and not experience community. You you can be in a business. You can be on a team. You can be in a church full of people and not experience relationship, community. It happens all the time. We can be in an office. You can even be in your own home and not have significant relationships. You know, that was not the case for the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul one of the giants in the faith. He wrote the majority of the New Testament. Uh, Paul was born in Tarsus. He was educated in Jerusalem. He lived in Damascus. He spent formative time in the desert. He moved to Antioch, and that was just the beginning. The Apostle Paul, he went on uh, two or three uh, rather different missionary journeys, and he was traveling from city to city, And yet what was fascinating about the Apostle Paul is wherever he went, he always established a band of people who huddled together and they supported one another and they encouraged one another. They experienced like what biblical community should look like. And and as I was reflecting on this this week, I was asking myself, like, man, how was Paul able to create significant relationships? How was he able to connect people in such a significant way? And in 1 Thessalonians, we're going to look at a couple of verses in 1 in, in Thessalonians. And this letter that Paul wrote, he was writing to the people of Thessalonica, and it's one of his most personal letters. He's very open, very honest, very raw. And in this letter, we're going to learn some things about how Paul connected with people. You see, P, uh, Paul, rather, Paul loved the people of Thessalonica, he loved them dearly. This was a group of people that truly loved the Lord. They truly loved each other. We're going to read two verses in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians. rather. And, and in these two verses, we're going to identify some key components for establishing and maintaining like biblical community. What does it look like? So let's read 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 7 and 8. Paul said, as apostles of Christ... We certainly had the right to make some demands of you. But instead, we were like children among you. He was expressing his dependence upon the people of Thessalonica. The people of Thessalonica took in Paul and other leaders, and they cared for them. And then he goes on to say, Or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. So it went both ways. Not only was he like a child you know, being cared for, but he was also like a mother caring for them. A relationship that went both ways. Look at verse 8. Paul said, we loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives as well. Paul's saying, I, I didn't just preach at you. I actually walked with you. I did life with you. I went through the highs and the lows, and I experienced this thing called life with you. We're going to learn some things from these two verses, some some ways that Paul connected. And once again, I encourage you to take some notes. I believe God wants to teach you some things this morning that you can apply to your life tomorrow. But the first thing that we learn from these two verses that we read, we learn that we need to admit our need for other people. You need to admit the fact that we need each other, and especially men. I think men struggle with this the most because we live in a culture where independence, like being independent, is glamorized. It's like, man, we want to be our own man. We want to do our own thing. We want to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, you know? But we need each other. Just as a child needs a mother, and a mother loves the child, we too need one another. In another letter that Paul wrote, he talked about this need to belong. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 20 and 22, he said, So the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, nor again the head to the feet. I don't need you. He was given kind of this humorous example that, you know, we, we need the parts of our body to function. And it's the same way in a family. It's the same way in a church. It's the same way in a business. We, we need each other to function the way God intended intended us to. This this need for other people is rooted deep within our souls. God established it this way. He planned it this way. We need one another. This need for other people is God-given, and it's deeply rooted in our lives. Even Abraham Maslow. Some of you may have heard of this man. Some of you, maybe you haven't. He was a famous uh, American psychologist, He was not a follower of Jesus Christ. And I wanted to share this example with you because even someone who who didn't follow Jesus Christ recognized the need for relationship. Abraham Maslow, he uh, came up with this well-known theory called the hierarchy of needs. And he believed that one could learn as much by studying healthy, well-adjusted people as one could by studying those with problems. And his conclusion was that each of us have various levels of need. And as we satisfy one level, we then move up to the next level. And Maslow's research revealed that before we can be a person of value and become all that we were intended to become, we first have to have our social needs met. Now, this is coming from an unbeliever. He said, we must be a part of a group. We must affiliate with other people We must experience caring and sharing relationships. Man, that's why from the very beginning of time, God said in Genesis chapter 2, it is not good for man to be alone. Like this is the way God intended it. This is the way he established it. We need one another. We need relationship. We need community. We cannot be lone rangers. So if we get to that place where we admit the need for relationships, we, we admit the need for community, we can then begin to, number two, cultivate those deep relationships. Just like a garden. Relationships, it, 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 you have to be intentional. You have to pull the weeds. You have to plant the seeds. You have to water. You, you, you have to be patient. It takes time. But you have to cultivate relationships. And I want, I want to encourage you this morning, don't take relationships lightly because to survive in a cold and cruel world it requires that we have deep relationships and deep connection but those relationships they don't just happen by accident they require effort and we we have to do more than just reach out to other people we have to share our lives with other people as well Paul said this in verse 8 once again he said we loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news but our own lives. We shared with you our lives, and I think sometimes we might ask the question, like, what what does that look like? What does it mean to share our lives with one another? Because that was honestly the secret sauce of the Apostle Paul when it came to building strong friendships and strong relationships. I mean, here was a man that every time he wrote to a church, he would always call by name two, three, or four different individuals that he had close relationship with. Because he didn't just preach at them, he walked with them. He was a shepherd that smelled like the sheep. Because he was with them and he journeyed with them. He wasn't above them, he was with them. He was in the trenches. He walked with them. This leads us to another core value that we have here at Grace Church. You might say, man, what does it mean to share our lives with one another And I believe one of the best ways that we can share our lives with one another is one of the core values here at Grace Church is the core value of transparency. And we've defined transparency this way. We've said transparency is having honest, tactful conversations and relationships and seeking, intentionally, seeking constructive feedback. And that is a way to share your life with each other, to be real, to be authentic, to take off your mask and to find that friend in the faith that you can say, hey, this is who I am. This is what I'm struggling with. These are some of the crazy thoughts that I'm having. And this is who I really am. And being transparent and having those deeper conversations, those honest conversations and seeking feedback. Getting to the place where we actually sharpen one another, where we challenge one another, where we say, hey man, <clears throat> you're going the wrong way, or hey, good job. We, we 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 do this thing called life together. Here's a deeper question for you this morning. Do you have a friend in the faith? Do you have someone in the faith? A friend in the faith that, that you are real with, authentic, you're transparent with? Do you have someone in your life that challenges you and encourages you? To, to be and to live like Christ? Do you have a friend in the faith, someone that you've been able to take your mask off and to be real, transparent about who you really are? Man, what, what does it look like to share our lives with one another? Some of us might say, man, how, how deep does this has to, have to go, Justin? like, man, this is starting to freak me out a little bit. Like, how real do we have to get? And let me just take you to the scripture. James, the brother of Jesus, he put it this way. In James chapter 5 and verse 16, he said, Confess your sins to each other. You you know what happens when you take a step of faith, you take a risk, and you actually open up to a brother, a friend in the faith, you know, a sister in Christ, and you actually say, I'm I'm struggling with some some sin in my life. And you actually take this step of courage, and you, you say, this is where... I'm struggling, and you kind of open up about some of the craziness in your life. You know what happens? Is the people that you open up to, they usually respond by saying, Me too. Man, me too. I struggle with those same things. Because you know what the enemy, what he wants to do is he wants to get you isolated. He wants you to believe these lies that, man, I am the only one that thinks this way. I am the only one that has these crazy thoughts. Like, I am such a weirdo, or I am the only one that struggles with this. And he he gets you to believe these lies, and then he has you right where he wants you. But man, when you shine some light on the darkness, and you open up to, to friends in the faith, the scripture begins to play out in real time. And what Solomon said really comes to life that two are better than one. And a three-chord strand is not easily broken. And you start doing this thing called life together and boy, you can fight the sin in your life. You can fight the enemy. You have greater strength. And that comes by taking this step that's really risky. Being vulnerable, being transparent. Confess your sins to each other. And then listen to what James says. He says, and pray for each other so that you may be healed. It's not just like, hey, here's how messed up I am, see ya. No, we're seeking healing and restoration. We're seeking freedom. And then he says, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Do you you have a friend in the faith you've been able to be real with. You know, found in those verses that we read in 1 Thessalonians from the Apostle Paul, there's there's three words that I really want to kind of highlight and pull out, because I think these three words form the foundation for developing authentic friendship and relationships. It's friendships that last, okay? Even when people move away, you stay connected somehow, you pray for them often. Friendships that last. So the first word that I want us to highlight is is you need to care. I think that's step number one, is you actually have to care about another person. You have to care about what they're going through and what they're facing and what their struggles are. And You have to care that, like, man, when they have success, you celebrate with them, and maybe sometimes you remember their birthday, and, you know, you just, you know, like, celebrate them. You have to care. And you say, man, it's so basic, but you know what? So many people don't care. They are so self-absorbed. They don't care about anything else or anyone else. It's an old cliche, an old saying, but it's so true. And it says, remember, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You need to care. The Apostle Paul said, like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. Mom, such a great example from the Apostle Paul. I mean, think of the love that you have for your children. And that's the type of care that the Apostle Paul is talking about. I think for us men, that example maybe doesn't connect as much, but I think those of us that are fathers, it it does connect. Man, we, we care for our children. We love our children. It's that kind of care that we need to have for one another. So you have to care about the individual and then you have to be willing to. The second word that I want to highlight is the word share. You have to care and then you have to be willing to share. Verse 8 said, we shared with you our own lives. The word picture that Paul is is, is trying to paint here of sharing our lives, it continue, it's continuing the mothering idea. And it paints a picture of a mother nursing her young. And listen, a mother cannot nurse her children without sharing a part of herself with that child. And for, for us to share with others in deep relationship, it necessitates that we get up close and personal. Like, we, we cannot share at a distance. We, we have to get more personal and up close. We have to care. We have to be willing to share our lives. And I know, once again, I'm kind of picking on the men this morning, but I think for many of us, it's, That's kind of a nervous thought. That's kind of a scary thought for us to think, man, I I, kind of like just keeping people at a distance. But once again, if you've come to the conclusion of point one that you need other people, you're now going to be willing to take some risks and to, to take some steps to say, man, I need some friends in the faith. I need some brothers who will journey with me and walk with me in this life. If we care and we're willing to share our lives, that leads us to the third word that I want us to highlight, and that's the word love. Paul said, we loved you so much. We loved you so much. Paul loved these people, and when we love other people, we don't treat them as a means to an end. We don't use people, but rather we treat people as individuals of value. We actually care about their dreams and their hopes and and how they're gifted, and we listen to what they say. It's not all about our story and our journey. We actually listen more than we talk. To cultivate a deep relationship, deep friendships, we have to dare to care. We have to be willing to share our lives, and we have to take the risk to be authentic and to be transparent, to be raw, to be real. The third thing that I want us to focus on this morning, in verse 8, We've talked about this a little bit already, but I want to encourage us this morning to to make a decision, to, to make a conscious decision this morning and commit to authentic transparency. Make a decision this morning to be transparent with a friend in the faith. You see, it's not enough to admit that we need each other or to say, man, a few friends would be nice. We have to commit ourselves to getting... Beneath the surface talk. And become interested and accountable to each other. And once again, this only happens when the masks come off. And conversations get deep. And hearts get vulnerable. And lives are shared. And accountability is invited. And tenderness and grace flows. I think when that happens, when we get to this place where, man, we are walking together with brothers and sisters in Christ. This is when the picture, I believe, that God intended for the church comes to life and we actually become brothers and sisters. We're like, we're doing this thing called life together. You see, true biblical community is being absorbed in the lives of others. It's being an active participant. It's relating to and sharing with and caring for other people. And the Apostle Paul, he he describes this assimilation. He describes this 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 process of, of authentic relationship using five words. He says this in a different translation. He says, We imparted our own lives. And we we intentionally did this. We intentionally opened up about some of our failures and our experiences, and we shared our lives with you. You see, Paul didn't build barriers. Paul was not aloof, he was not passive, he was intentional, and he opened up his life to other people. There's a longtime pastor in Minnesota, his name is Reuben Gornitsky, and he said this about the need for true biblical community, and this, this quote just really hit me, and I wanted to share it with you this morning, but he said, we cannot simply cheer people on and give them our best wishes. Like, man, hey, how's it going? Good, how are you? God bless you, I'll pray for you. He says we actually have to make room for them in our lives. It's not enough just to cheer them on and give them good wishes. We have to make room for people in our lives. And when we make room for others in our lives, the walls of indifference and apathy and judgment begin to come down. And when we make room for others, we discover the best of other people. We begin to see the best in ourselves. We begin to experience what God intended church to look like. It's Super Bowl Sunday, so I need to give you a football example, okay? Just brace yourself, soccer players, okay? You'll be all right. Gene Stallings actually was a, an assistant under the great Bear Bryant, okay? Bear Bryant was um, a football coach for the University of Alabama, a very famous football coach. And Gene Stallings... When he was serving under Bear Bryant's leadership, he started a chapter of uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And a lot of the players on the team started to meet, and it was pretty amazing how this started to spread around the campus. and Stallings, this was before the season started, and Stallings, he received a, a phone call from Coach Bryant, and Coach Bryant said, Stallings, you know what is the worst thing that has happened to our football team? He said, it's the FCA, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Those players are doing nothing but hugging one another and loving one another, and they won't hit anybody. And Bryant just hung up the phone on Stallings, and he left Stallings to just ponder those words. And after the season was over, which turned out to be one of the best seasons that Bryant ever had, the bear, he was referred to, he called Stallings again and he said, Stallings, you know what is the best thing that has happened to our football team? It's the FCA. It has brought such a oneness and a closeness to our team. We are unified because of the influence that it has had on our squad. I guess I share that example this morning because I think, especially for men, we think of it as like, man, I just, I don't know, it seems kind of mushy, you know? Like, I don't know if I want that. But it's not a matter of want. It's a matter of need. Like you need that. You need it. You need. It's, it's about oneness. It's about unity. It's about having brothers in arms. It's about being for a cause that's bigger than us. It's about building the kingdom of God. You need authentic relationship. You need biblical community. And what happened for the University of Alabama, that football team, What happened on that elevator when the ice broke, you know, when everyone jumped? It can happen anywhere. It really can. People need each other. We we need to take off our masks. We need to admit our need for one another. We need to cultivate relationships, and we need to strive for authentic transparency. I guess to kind of bring this sermon to a close, I, I wanted to share with you an example to encourage us towards this idea of true biblical community. And I I am so passionate about this. I I am such a firm believer in this. I I believe that we cannot function the way God wants us to function without community. It's that important. And I guess to give us a little encouragement, I want to show you a little clip from, from a movie and to share this idea with you. The movie clip that I want to share with you this morning is from the movie We Bought a Zoo. Maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't. This movie is about a man named Benjamin who lost his wife. And in a bid to start his life over, he purchases this large house in the country that has a zoo, and it's in need of a lot of renovation, and his goal is to get this zoo back to its former glory. And towards the end of the movie, we're going to show you this clip Towards the end of the movie, Benjamin takes his two children. He has a son and a daughter. And he takes his children to the place where he first met his wife, their mother. And he tells them about the time that he had 20 seconds of courage. Check this out. Where are we going? Now, hang on. So, okay. Stop. She was... Right there. This is the moment where both of you became a possibility. I love that you're telling stories again. This is the story before the story. This is where you and you begin. Because this is where I met your mom. She was sitting right there in that chair. Hang on. So, I was walking by, and I saw, and I literally stopped like this, just stopped, and went, Oh my God, that is the most beautiful woman I have ever seen in my entire life. But I've never done anything like this. I'd never gone and talked to a total stranger before, but she was right there. And so I thought to myself, 20 seconds, right? Go. Now I'm in the restaurant, and I'm terrified, thinking about leaving. I can actually touch her. She's right there. She still hasn't seen me, and I still have 15 seconds of courage left. I'm going for it. Bravery. Here's what I said. I said, excuse me. Hello. Hi, hey, Mommy. Why would an amazing woman like you even talk to someone like me? Why not? (sighs) For all you single guys out there, you just got some tips, okay? All it took was 20 seconds of courage. 20 seconds of courage to have a true connection. Man, to to take that risk to be a friend or to share what's really going on in your life. And, and, And the reason I'm saying this and the reason I love this video clip is because I've lived this out in real time. And there's two men in my life brothers in arms that I have been real and authentic with and that I opened up and I confessed sin in my life. And I'm telling you from experience that I battled this barrier of, man, this is going to be embarrassing. Man, what are they going to think? Man, like excuses after excuse after excuse. But I didn't even have this phrase, 20 seconds of courage but I just knew I, I got to bust through this barrier of fear. And I opened up about, man, what was going on in my life and what I was struggling with. And you know what their response was? Both of them, who are still my buddies to this day, they didn't run out the door screaming, he's a maniac, you know. Their response was, me too. And I actually struggle with a lot of the same things. And what if it was just 20 seconds of courage? that you needed to have authentic connection. I'm going to close this with a challenge. I'm going to challenge. I'm going to put the weight on the husbands this morning, the men. I'm going to challenge all the husbands this morning to take 20 seconds of courage. And every day this week, I want to encourage you to ask, not encourage you, I'm going to challenge you to ask your wife to pray with you. You say, man, I I don't know how to pray. I I don't know what to say. And you can use that prayer time as an opportunity to thank God for putting her in your life. You can use it as an opportunity to thank God for all the work that she does inside and outside of the home. You can use it as an opportunity to, to pray that God would help her in her areas of weakness. You see what's happening here is you actually have to know her. What if it took just twenty seconds to say, "Hey, babe, what, could we pray together?" And I can almost guarantee you, that she's going to love that. You may say, I'm, "I'm not married." Well, you can take twenty seconds of courage. This this is actually for all of us, and you could take twenty seconds of courage this week to find a friend in the faith. Maybe you're a young man here this morning, and man, you just there's a man in our church that you respect that you admire. You've kind of been watching from a distance. What if you took 20 seconds of courage to say, hey, can we go to coffee? And could you just, man, tell me about your life experiences. Can I, can I just hear about your faith? What, what if some of the women in here, maybe there's a, a lady that you admire, that you would love to learn from, and you just went up to her and said, can we go to coffee? Can, we, can you just tell me some of your life experiences? Can you tell me some of your life stories? Maybe you're having parenting issues. Maybe you're having marriage issues. Maybe you're having battles with depression. Like, whatever it may be, you just say, hey, 20 seconds of courage. Man, can we spend some time together? And can you just tell me about your faith? Can you just encourage me? Seems weird, doesn't it? Seems like, even when I was writing this, I'm like, I don't know how many people are going to do this. But I'm just led to put the challenge out there. And I want to encourage you to find a friend in the faith. Man, someone that you can learn from and that you can challenge you. I really believe 20 seconds of courage could change your life forever. It really could. I know when I opened up to those two brothers, man, it set my life on a, on a course that has been healthy. It's been freedom from that bondage of sin that I was struggling with speaking from experience. I'm speaking, I'm telling you not to do something that I haven't already done. Like, man, this will change your life. 20 seconds of courage to find a friend in the faith. Are you up for it? I hope and pray you are. Father, thank you.